Okay, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, and I'd just like to advise our listeners that unlike the average Taylor Swift concert, the odds of you getting injured or passing away listening to the show are, thankfully, quite low. Um, I'll just say it again. I mean, that's... You know, not letting people bring their own water into things. Come on. Like, did we did we not learn that lesson with Woodstock 99? Yeah, I, I do remember. <laughs> the first time I remember that was at the Molson Amphitheater, whatever it's called now. Yeah. I was livid. Yeah. Because I was a big fan of the form. Yeah. Bring in your own whatever. It was a free-for-all. And that's how it should be in a park. Yeah. But that's the thing. Is it, it was like It's like super hot in Rio right now, and you weren't allowed to bring in your own water and then it was super hot in the stadium because you're there with like 50 other 50,000 other crazy Swifties and uh I and mean, considering what the tickets cost you, you, yeah. a ball of water should be included I would imagine yeah yeah <laughs> complimentary water ticket yeah it's uh I mean that's probably the least of your concerns when you're buying Taylor Swift tickets but so our uh, fans are sourcies I guess then is that right sourcies <laughs> sourcies it's not, it's not bad it's not bad we'll work not bad out, yeah for top right. of the head, yeah. Sources, open sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Ward 4 City Councilor Linda Busatil, who's going to help us dive deeper into the 2024 2027 budget. And we'll talk a little bit about Mayor Cam Guthrie's proposed motion to deal with the downtown encampments issue. There's a lot going on there, but that's at the bottom of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including the Ontario Liberal Leadership Race. Did you forget about it? I almost did. But <laughs> it wraps up next week, and we'll talk about what happens after that or what might happen after that. But first, back to Gaza. Uh, been a lot happening over the last couple of days but as you're listening to this on thursday afternoon uh they did initiate a four-day ceasefire earlier this morning 10 a.m gaza time and uh the release of hostages should be in progress uh hamas agreed to release 50 people out of the 240 some odd people that they have hostage taken since october 7th worth noting so it's almost two months uh they're going to be releasing women and children first. Um, meanwhile, the Israeli Defense Forces have agreed to release 150 uh, Palestinian people that they have prisoner. Uh, again, women and children first. Um, this seems to be a positive sign in terms of um, finally, like at least getting the shooting to stop for a little bit. Uh, it's worth noting that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the PM of Israel, has said that uh, has kind of reinforced the idea that this is a pause. The war is still on. Um, Hamas has left the door open that as long as Israel isn't shooting, they will keep releasing hostages. Um, so there is some hope. There is also uh, it seems to be part international pressure because a lot of Western governments are feeling pressure from their own people to keep pushing the Israelis for a ceasefire. Uh, and this comes to as uh, in Gaza, they've literally lost track of how many people died. The last reliable numbers were from November the 10th. 
somewhere just a little north of 11,000 people. Um, Gaza health officials have basically said that they don't have the ability to keep track anymore because of uh, downed communications, uh, downed internet access, and frankly, so many dead to count. So um, positive signs, not necessarily uh, a concrete end to the fighting, but at least for a couple of days, things are going to be significantly quieter in Gaza. Yeah, most people are in agreement. There is obviously a bit of grumbling in certain circles about it, but mm. the fact that it is the ceasefire pause or whatever they want to call it is is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And there's been murmuring about this over the past few days. The deal's close. The deal's close. They've asked Biden. Uh, but it was actually engineered by Qatar, which is which is interesting. It sounds like it was Carter. Carter. <laughs> Just think about Qatar. Yeah. yeah, Qatar with uh egyptian and u.s backing yeah the hostages that were released previously you may recall a few a few weeks back now it's hard to believe this is 50 days that were there were some elderly yeah. people released that was also engineered by qatar it was something like qatar to hamas via i think it was the red cross at that point i'm not actually sure mm -hmm. what the mechanism will be with this one because it's a larger release but they've positioned themselves I'm not even on the fence, but uh, they seem to be trying to please, or at least be involved with all parties. This is their, their, the, I guess, geopolitical space that they've carved out for themselves. Mm. Uh, and you can see it. You can, um, people may not know this, but Al Jazeera is a, uh, the pretty much a state broadcaster in Qatar. Yeah. And the, traffic on there has been interesting because they don't necessarily you will see it mentioned about the uh, israeli hostages mm -hmm. and hamas but i think in in attempts to not rock the boat too much they're not concentrating a lot on that side of the story there's a fairly good primer on the whole uh story so far on al jazeera but i would say you know take any state broadcaster regardless of who they are Mm -hmm. uh, with a grain of salt that includes in my world that includes the BBC and the CBC you mm -hmm. need to sort of gauge your own reliability but and well and sp speaking of journalists too that number has gone up I think it's up to 56 which includes people from Al Jazeera yeah but some of those are from um I think it's called Al Aqsa TV which is an appendage of Hamas so it's quite possible that uh, is. I'm fairly sure that the Israeli government, the IDF, don't consider them belligerents rather mm -hmm. than just journalists. So, mm -hmm. so that you know, th thankfully there will be. Hopefully, this pause has happened, and hostages will still will get to go to their respective homes or back to wherever they're going to go. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the the ratio is interesting too. It's more. It seems to be more Palestinian women and teens, effectively children. So there's quite a quite a high number of women and teens in Israeli custody. But I I'm fairly sure that uh, Ahed Tamimi, the famous, she is worldwide famous uh, Palestinian activist. I think she's in her 20s now, but as a young person, slapped a, a an Israeli soldier in the in the in the west bank mm -hmm. 
I don't, she probably, she's probably a little bit too high profile to be released at this point, but you never know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, it, it is interesting that, um, and it's also worth pointing out that, um, I think we've talked about this before, but like the majority of Hamas leadership isn't in <laughs> Gaza. It's, you know, in places like Qatar and, uh, the United Arab Emirates. So, I mean, I don't know if that's a, a connection to that. They have sort of like more of a straight line to, um, the, the, the boys in leadership, but yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. I mean, it's probably kind of a relief to Joe Biden and his, uh, peeps because they've been kind of getting slapped for it. I mean, they're also facing kind of a, I, I wouldn't quite call it an insurrection, but you know, as, as things progress, uh, more and more people in the democratic party have been adding their names, to like calling, like get a ceasefire now, including like high profile Jewish members of the democratic caucus, like, you know, Jamie Raskin, uh, pretty well-known, uh, congressperson from Maryland. Um, so, I mean, it gives, it gives that breathing room. I mean, you've kind of been seeing it on all sides here in Canada too. You know, Trudeau can't go to a restaurant without some people yelling at him to cease fire. Same thing here in Guelph. There was private dinner to mark 30 years of, of liberal rule in the Guelph riding that was interrupted by um, some folks from showing up Guelph. So um, it, it's probably, I mean, that political pressure has probably worked. And uh, I, I think it's probably maybe some vindication for Biden's strategy of, you know, sort of praise in public, um, you know, push in private uh, because Netanyahu's statement was like kind of a bullion to Joe Biden for his support. So um, I, I think, if this does end up, I mean, you got to keep in mind too, like the, the 11,000 people dead in Gaza, that's not 11,000 Hamas fighters. Sure. Some of them are, are probably Hamas, but I mean, that's not 11,000 um, Hamas fighters. That's probably 11,000 innocent people. Um, and yeah, again, to, to reinforce what happened on October 7th was terrible, but you know, you got to figure at this point, Israel's gotten 10 times as many, you know, casualties on their side versus the 1400 who were killed on October 7th. Like, how much more could they do? How much more damage could they wrought? And of course, Israel was under pressure too, with uh, all the talk about the Al Shifa hospital being the command center for Hamas. And that kind of hasn't turned out to be the case. Um, although they've been trying to show, like, see, there was a tunnel here, a pretty well-constructed tunnel using the, seemingly using the edicts of civil engineering. I'm taking that from people who know about civil engineering. That's not necessarily something ad hoc that Hamas was digging on the QT under the hospital. So um, it, it, I think there there is kind of a vindication for the international pressure on Israel here that... Um, you know, it's, it, it might be that much harder for them to go back to a war footing after four or five days of peace, too. Well, yeah, I mean, Israel tries to give this impression that Hamas has this set of skills where they've dug. What, what did they say? They've unearthed something like 400 tunnel entrances or something. But mm -hmm. I caught an interesting clip with Ehud Barak, former president of Israel, was on with Christina Mampour. Yeah. And 
he yeah he where he dropped the comment it was like well no we built that bunker under the El Shifa hospital <laughs> yeah so, like infrastructure wise they know about it but that would also mean they have the blueprints if they built it there's a dusty room somewhere or an old computer they would tell you exactly where the tunnel begins and ends yeah there's an apple too somewhere <laughs> yeah sure but that you know that that's the stuff should all be on hand so it's this indiscriminate and it is yeah. bombing which yeah. is reaching i would say and many would agree with genocidal levels which seems to be the intent a lot of the traffic i've heard from some of the more extreme members of the israeli parliament both current and x yeah is at that level one of them was like we're gonna turn gaza into a soccer pitch and mm. then was like all two million need to leave these are quotes and if you would like me to back it i will find it for you <laughs> but i you know we you know we this is the stuff that's coming out from certain not all of them but certain yeah. people yeah that kind of language is genocidal language so when you and i've said this before when you dehumanize violence you see them less than human or label everyone a terrorist just because of where they live mm -hmm. and that's how you end up with twenty thousand tons of bombs dropped in an area that's right. not that's not a precision operation no that's, that's the least right. believable thing about this is like it's like oh no we're just we're we're targeting the tunnels and we're targeting this and that it's like that's just garbage and no, I wouldn't say no one believes that. Certain indoctrinated people believe that. And I right. did. I saw a clip earlier today too with, uh, unfortunately, some young people singing a song about you know when they're all gone, we'll move in and we'll go back and we'll we'll do this and that. Just pure propaganda. Yeah. And you know that you're not you're not helping. None of that is helping because you know this one side will see that and say, well, look, you know, this is their intention. Mm -hmm. like you said not every, you know, to what is it two point whatever million people they're not all hamas no and you got to keep in mind too that a, a lot of a lot of this has been directed by family members of the hostages too who have been concerned about their safety like you know as, as you're saying it doesn't seem there was a lot of precision bombing they dropped like a year's worth of munitions like that were dropped on afghanistan but in the course of 50 days on an area half the size of manhattan so it's you know, there's definite concern, and it was. It, it seemed to be like families protesting at like the home, like Netanyahu's home, that mm -hmm. seemed to sort of push this over the edge too. You know, and I think that's important to keep in mind is that I think there are a lot of, um, on the ground in Israel. Uh, there's, there's, um, I mean, there's sort of what the government faces, but I think there's a sort of different face for for what the people have and what the people want to accomplish, um, which is mostly just like bringing hostages home you know can deal with hamas later but like first things first is like bring people home and um you know maybe don't kill all of our palestinian neighbors uh, mm -hmm. which <laughs> seems to be the course they were on until this unfortunately yeah and i mean th thankfully we're kind of able to say what we say here but Mm. An interesting component of this, just turning to the, we'll, we'll call it the West or our neck of the woods, is how many yeah. people are being brought to bear by things that they've said on social media or just publicly. Yeah. I heard this morning, Susan Sarandon got cut by her management. And I don't know any of the people in the Scream series. I know that you do, but somebody got cut from Scream. 
because yeah. they said something that was, you know, please, please don't annihilate these people. And it's like, yeah. you're anti-Semitic. It keeps coming down to that. And it's like that, that level is, 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 I don't think we've seen it quite so high until this. It, yeah, I mean, I know it's happened hot. with other people in the past, but it's like every day now it's announced that somebody for something that they've said. Yeah. is is getting there's more ramifications for them than just having an opinion which is interesting particularly when it comes you know the ones coming from the u.s which is supposed to be the bastion of free speech yeah there's a lot on you know and then the flip side too is you know elon musk goes full anti-semitic and yeah well that's goes he goes to sue the outlet that calls him out for it and then gets the backing of you know the the attorney general of texas who is supposed to be one of these free speech absolutist guys but I think yeah, Elon's probably a special case. Oh, Elon is definitely both special, special and a yeah. case. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, good segue to another special case: the Ontario Liberal Party. Mm. Anyway, um, <laughs> they had their last story. Liberals, <laughs> sorry, liberals, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, any harm? Uh... Yeah, no. Uh, they're doing harm to themselves. Anyway. Uh, Last Sunday was the last leadership debate. There are four candidates in the race. Ted Sue, Yazir Nakvi, Bonnie Crombie, and Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. Uh, it still seems to be Bonnie's game. Although uh, Erskine-Smith and uh, Nakvi are, are, like, have a kind of, like uh, I guess, joint companionship here where they, they're encouraging their supporters to make each other their second choice on the ballot. I'm not sure that's going to help. Um, Bonnie Crombie, meanwhile, um, I mean, mayor of Mississauga, um, is pretty popular, got reelected, uh, I think twice. So uh, a lot of people are looking at her as maybe the, the fresh new face that can lead the liberals back to power. I'm not sure that's altogether, uh, a sure thing. There was an interesting piece in the National Observer about what the liberals need to do and, um, finding the center right option in the leadership campaign doesn't seem to be uh, what they are recommending. But at the same time, the Liberals and the NDP are currently tied at 25% each in the uh, opinion polls. It's about 10 points behind the Conservatives right now, but um, it, it seems to indicate that uh, maybe it doesn't really matter who's leading the Liberal Party. <laughs> <laughs> this, and this is the time I always say that the Liberal Democrats would just run the province the rest of time, probably. Sure. But th such is not the case. But yeah, as you said, Bonnie Crombie, and also a former MP, right, for Mississauga Streetsville. The, yeah. the, the thing about this race is that everyone in it is seasoned to a degree. Erskine Smith was, uh, what, nine years now, an MP, I think, was the number for Beaches East York. Ted Chu from Kingston and Islands was federal, then switched to provincial. Mm. Yasser Nakvi was the same, or provincial, and then went to federal. So there's they've they all have experience at the the elected liberal levels in terms of provincial and, and federal and of mm. course Bonnie Crombie with the mayor and three time councillor in Mississauga as well so a, a known known whereas the other three aren't as much but yeah I think that let's call it coalition between Smith and Nakvi is interesting in that it kind of proves the power of the rank ballot yeah. And this is something that we never consider in the larger scope in Canada. We're just, we seem to be happy or stuck with uh, first past the post and everything. Whereas, yeah. you know, 
elections oh, such as this have ranked ballots and different systems of getting people into yeah. positions, right? So only in party politics is only in party politics. So it, no, they don't. They don't want it to spread be, to end beyond that. But you know, so the you know, the the burning question is: Will it be a, a first ballot walk for Bonnie Crombie, or is it something where they need to go back? And mm. I want. I'm wondering if the 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 coalition may change that. Not not sure because I don't what liberals are. A hundred thousand members, maybe, and possibly half of those will vote like anything. You know, there, there won't be like a resounding turnout for it. No, yeah, I think there's a, is, yeah, I think there's a pretty tight sort of restriction in terms of like when the voting is open too. So it's, I, I, it's not like one of these like cast your ballot over the next three weeks and mail it in. I think it's going to be pretty tight at the convention itself. Mm-hmm. And I, I watched one of the I watched the TVO debate. Now that it's back. <laughs> yeah. so which just just to get a feel of what was going on because i didn't i knew a bit about bonnie crombie but not the other three and it was you know very nice kind of safe very the platitudes were there and the you know uh, uh cordiality there was no no one was going for the throat really there yeah. was only one shot at the ndp and that was the fact that um in their leadership race there was no race she's the one candidate who is she's now the leader right so right but I mean, there, uh, that was the only. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say there's barely a race here too, but <laughs> yeah, but at least it's it's sort of happening, right? It's but sort of, yeah, it's yeah. They're all a fairly similar group. Uh, Bonnie Crombie had a hell of a cough. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if that's just from being out on the in the hustings or on the road or whatever, but no, mm. no one spoke about COVID. But it, it's certainly you know something was looming in the background. It was it was unavoidable. Yeah. Uh, to hear so beyond you know. It's it's funny that I'm saying that it sounds like the most it's the most interesting thing that happened in the discussion, but it was the only thing that was kind of off message. Um, but yeah, so I the, the the phrase that they keep using Crombie in particular, but it's like the liberals are back. Yeah. So it's you know they first first of all they never went away, but it's like yeah. I I don't think they'll know for sure if they're back until the person is installed. You know, you yeah. can say that, and they're, they've all been supposedly going around the province, and and uh, Nackley said he was knocking on doors, but I mean, I don't. I, you'd have to get a very precise list to see what doors to go and knock on. In this case, yeah, I think he just meant he was. You know, it's it's like little town halls around the province. Metaphor, yeah. Get get your people out to see what's going on, but you know, there's I guess there's some exceptions in terms of. What was way back? Was it in the United Farmers didn't have a leader and they won? That's we're going back a hundred years, but it's like <laughs> it is possible for a party to get a certain energy without, you know, having a leader per se, or they're in that transitional period. But you know, with the exception of 1990, it is we just alternate between the two parties. So yeah, I if think the liberals are back. Then they're they're that is that's how they'll be back. It's it's tired of Doug Ford, right? Rather than maybe any new energy that may or may not be coming i think that's i think that's key to understanding the situation if we get paul Evra in ottawa in 2025 too then uh, i think i think that pretty much sorry. seals. no no it's i understand i it, couldn't hold it <laughs> i mean but that seals doug ford's fate because poly ever is going to like start doing what he's going to want to do and it's going to brass off a bunch of people here in ontario who don't like that kind of politics um and then, I mean, at that point, you know, if Bonnie Crombie's the face, I I hope that 
and again, this was from that National Observer piece that mentioned that, like, you know, liberals went with like the soft centrist choice last time, which was Stephen Del Duca not realizing that um, they have a better chance of peeling off NDP voters than they do uh, pe- peeling off PC voters. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, is it possible that they're making the same mistake with Crombie? Because, you know, Crombie's like talked about opening up the green belt too, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's kind of more on the right side of things. She's talked about moving the liberals more to the center, which means moving rightward. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's the the spirit or or what voters are wanting to hear because, you know, we've that's kind of what we got right now. Um, there is an opportunity here because, you know, certainly Merritt Styles, you know, what happened with Sarah Jama doesn't look good on her. You know, she... Has, it, it took her the better part of this year to find her footing as leader. She really seemed to kind of come about in uh, in the midst of the Greenbelt crisis, but that crisis isn't, isn't going to last, or that scandal isn't going to last forever, and like we'll probably won't hear much about it until the RCMP deliver their report, and I highly doubt they're going to say, like, let's put the premier on trial. Huh, yeah. um, <laughs> and then, you know, so, you know, what does that leave um, in terms of, you know, measuring? Well, I mean, we've got a by-election on November 30th up the road in Kitchener Center, but um, I don't think the liberals are a factor there. I like Kelly Stice. She seemed like a nice lady when I talked to her, mm. but um, I think the momentum there, uh, at least, you know, it feels like the momentum there is for the Greens, although I, uh, you know, I'm not, sh- I wouldn't count the NDP out just yet. So... Um, but conservatives are out there though right like he's not even well, going to the all candidates <laughs> talk about phoning it in like they're not even trying i mean the conservatives are out because the guy doesn't even live there so it, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> i mean that's that as they say is that um we'll have to see what happens uh on december 2nd when the new leader is chosen for now we're going to come back to guelph and talk about the upcoming budget with Linda Busatil from the Quattro Board 4. <laughs> you are listening to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And that's from an album number 12 on our chart this week, Tara Lightfoot from Hamilton. New album, new song, and that was Out of Time, which every time I hear about climate change is what I think. I'm (laughs) fairly sure that song was about a relationship, but anyway, (laughs) that's my political spin on that song. Well, we we have a relationship with the planet. Yeah, true. Abusive abusive relationship. Mm, And we're out of time, but... Yeah. Or another yeah. day, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to think about it. No, um, that's, that's about it, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, where are we talking? Where are we going? Oh, right. Yeah, Ward yeah. Four. That's Ward Ward back Ward on track. Four. Yeah. <laughs> the so, Quattro. The Quattro. Thank you. Uh, so, Linda Busatil is our guest this week. She is a Ward 4 city councilor, Quattro based, as uh, I'm trying to get it going. <laughs> um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it's been a year. Um, 
but obviously we have the budget to talk about the budget vote is uh by the time you're listening to this it'll be in six days though so wednesday november 29th uh also this thing came up this week has a lot of people talking online about uh, this mayor's motion about barring encampments from downtown you, you might have seen a couple of tents popped up in front of city hall and i've seen some makeshift shelters pop up in st george's square and other places around the mm-hmm. core um the mayor has since since i recorded this with linda on monday the mayor has since presented sort of like a more refined multi-part uh two tweet motion so um obviously didn't get a chance to talk about that with linda but we do talk very generally about the intent of the motion and and how she's thinking about it and then there's a ton of stuff about the budget so uh i will leave it there and throw it to our interview uh, this is Lin- Linda Busatil from the Quattro and uh, me chatting about stuff. So I'll hit play on that right now. Okay, Linda Busatil, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Um, before we dig into budget stuff, um, I want to go to next week's meeting. Because um, a lot of people chin wagging about this over the weekend, but uh, Mayor Guthrie's um, motion that he's going to bring forward about uh having staff craft a bylaw to bar encampments downtown seems sort of directly implying to uh the people who are set up tents in front of city hall but i mean i've also seen like makeshift uh tents and hooches set up in the, the square as well it, it's it seems a bit counterintuitive to how uh, a couple of weeks ago, a council was talking about the human rights approach to dealing with homelessness. But I'm wondering, as a as a counselor and having maybe seen that for the first time on Friday, what you're sort of thinking right now about that motion. Thank you. Um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about that motion. So as, mm. uh, as, as a new counselor, I'm learning, you know, there are many ways in which ideas, you know, trial balloons, things come to us. And and I do have to say that as a counselor, getting an email from the mayor saying, hey, at the end of the month, I'm bringing forward a motion, mm-hmm. uh, but having to read it on social media mm-hmm. uh, it is, is not really good at um, consensus and team building and mutual learning and respect and conversation. So as a new counselor, I find that hard. I find mm-hmm. it really hard to... to uh, put the focus of these really important conversations into the public arena before we've had an opportunity for all of our, you know, as the mayor says, our good minds around the table to talk about this. Mm. I'm going to talk about my reaction to it. Okay. I think, I, you know, I've seen other councillors pipe up about uh, this um, motion mm-hmm. that's going to come to us. I'm on the side of absolutely not. I do not mm. support this at all. I, you know, and and I'm concerned about things like, you know, I'm not a supporter of gated communities. I'm not a supporter of, you know, the gentrification of certain areas of uh, our urban landscape uh, to the advantage of few and, you know, the exclusion of others. I am concerned about that. Mm. And so those are some of the things that I will talk about when this comes forward at the end of the month. But this is not something that aligns with my um, my lived experience and my community kind of engagement. This does not align with this. It seemed to me, and, you know, maybe you can comment, because um, there's also a, a report in that agenda about 
um, emotion I was past in October about looking at other daytime uh, shelter uh, setups. And essentially the report says, let's not look at that right now. Um, we don't have any further funding for Royal City Mission and the, the multi-year budget. I think there's like literally wording in there about how it was discretionary to be, to begin with that extra funding for Royal City Mission. Um, I understand sort of the justification that, you know, we should have this, this should be part of the sort of fulsome discussion at the housing symposium that's planned for the new year. But at, at the other hand, between this and the mayor's motion, uh, just as someone who's an observer of politics, I feel like maybe there's, um, we're losing a bit of our appetite to, um, in, to, to sort of deal directly with this problem. It feels like now there's, and I've seen some of the blowback on social media too. It, it there just seems to be this undercurrent. We just want this problem gone. We don't want to look at it anymore. We don't want to look at any more encampments or people with carts with filled with their possessions wandering around downtown. How do you feel? Yeah, and you know, I hate to say it, but it does link back to. Um, I, when I look at our services in the, in the city of Guelph, mm. greater and greater, it's like that coffee bottom with the grounds, you know, or the tea leaves being pushed to the bottom, to mm. the local level. Um, and, and I do a phenomenal amount of volunteer and community work, absolutely mm. care for my neighbor and, and families. But at the end of the day, you know, the amount of funding that is locally tax-supported, discretionary, uh, is becoming less and less. As you know, the revenue sources are less and less. And so the need is there. And, you know, I don't know what else can be done to mm. increase the advocacy and the pressure to the levels of government that need to be addressing uh, this solution. At the same time, I absolutely hear the downtown. I absolutely hear communities. You know, I I connected with some people at an encampment on uh, provincial lands to see if they needed some food support and so on to make mm -hmm. some connections for families, for mm -hmm. individuals. It, it, it is a multi-pronged solution that needs to be borne proportionately by the levels of government that have the responsibility to address this issue. And, you know, we're going to talk about budget, but, <laughs> you know, residents want, you know, their snow cleared and their, you know, recreation facilities and their transit and all these other things. And at the same time, uh, more and more of those pushed down coffee bottom responsibilities are being put on the local municipalities. And we all care about our neighbors. We all want to do this. So absolutely, I think we need to do something. I'm not sure what that looks like. I do mm. think that waiting until February is too late. Mm. Uh, but, and it has to be something that's sustainable, because this, this patchwork of, you know, we'll, we'll fund you until July, and then we'll fund you until December. Yeah. isn't addressing this. And I don't know how to increase the pressure on the uh, levels of government to get them to the table to address this in a sustainable way. And in the community work around food that I do, you know, the volunteer mm. work, uh, you know, the need is phenomenal, is mm. phenomenal uh, in the amount of increase. So at the same time, it's, well, you know, we'll increase taxes and, you know, take care of the local needs. You know, I just had a phone call with a, a widow with her high school son at home who is, may not be able to afford her home anymore, right? right. Uh, because of the pressures that are being put here. So we're, we're policy-wise creating, we're, we're handmaidens to creating this, this problem. 
were, you know, by taxation creating uh, unaffordability and in the policies at other levels of government, you know, I'm not saying there's not strong advocacy. There absolutely is strong advocacy. I don't know what it's going to take to get those levels of government to, to put money into uh, long-term um, solutions rather mm. than piecemeal. Yeah. Well, looking to the stuff that we can control anyway, uh, we're talking uh, almost literally halfway through the the budget process this year. Um, this is your first run through of you know, sort of like a budget from scratch. Um, so, I mean, how, you know, talking about having the information that you need, you know, how are you feeling um, halfway through the process? <laughs> so, so I was, you know, um, I'm going to try at my, at the budget board for to put this into plain language, but really, you know, I'm a visual learner. Mm. And this budget, I honestly, is a Jenga, is a Jenga block budget, right? Mm. You know, that blocks you, you build up and Adam, you're going to pull out a block and I'm going to pull out a block <laughs> and eventually it's going to collapse, right? Mm. Um, and so, you know, I deeply respect the staff that have put together, you know, with the guidelines provided the mayor's first budget, um, what the priorities are and, and what needs to be done, given that this is also our first budget with the reduced revenues uh, mm. and, and multi-year budget as well. And so, you know, it's a Jenga budget. This is, you know, our draft of what we think we can do with what we have and trying to keep, you know, uh, the tax increase to 10.3%, still too much, as you heard from City Council. We'll be discussing that later this week. Mm. But at the same time, you were at the, the meeting with the del budget delegation saying we need more, we need more, yeah. you know, doctors. We need, we do need more things. But you know, it's that economics of the revenue states provincially has cut our ability to do some of the the things that need to be done. And at the same time, the commitment that we're being held to for housing, where we have to front end, we have to. You know, the Wimpy mm. Burger, I'll gladly pay for this and, you know, eat it now <laughs> and pay for it later kind of thing. So, it, you know, it, it's, I, it is extremely difficult. It is extremely difficult. When you look at the levers, mm. um, they're not there. They're not there. And saying that we're going to increase fees mm. just further puts the burden on households and individuals. The other thing about the budget is I do like the budget board. I do like the transparent way of posting questions. And I'm I'm all for asking questions uh, that I don't know the answers to. I'm not I'm not embarrassed by saying I don't understand this. Mm. Um, so I do like that. Uh, I, 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 I don't know how we're going to do everything that needs to be done. Mm. I will say locally, the Ward 4 in me is happy <laughs> that we have our splash pad after, you know, I think it was 2009 that got closed at uh, the West End. Mm -hmm. Finally happening 2024, you know. Um, and I, you know, commented about the uh, Metrolinx underpass. That was a strong connection to uh, for the ward, but also a connection, bike paths and so on to the mm. downtown where there's going to be more investments and so on. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy with some of the things that I see in the budget, you know, long term, not immediate. Mm. Uh, but I am concerned. I, I 
you know, hate to agree with you about transit. Uh, <laughs> for for me, you know, even before bike lanes, which has, you know, other kinds of funding and so on that make that happen, transit is something that local government needs to invest in directly to make it happen. Yeah. And I, I said this during the conversation about the downtown parking bylaw, that, you know, in an ideal world, sure, let's go to zero, but you can't get to there mm -hmm. until you've done those proper investments and you've got that reliable transportation that gives a, a, a reliable, convenient, fast kind of uh, alternative. So, mm. uh, you know, that that is a disappointment. And I have asked questions about reserve funds and so on. And for me, that is that is important, especially if we're building further out uh, in the city. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Anyway, that, that's all I'm going to say on that one. Well, you, I think the Jenga tower analogy is pretty good. So I'm going to push it further because, <laughs> it, you know, you, you mentioned at the delegation night, there were like requests and this isn't exactly like, you know, nobody wants to build a popsicle stick skyscraper or something. You know, you have people wanting to have a couple of thousand dollars for a recruitment campaign for doctors, for the sanguine health van and um, improvements, to the farmer's market building, um, things like that but i mean trails yeah tra like I, council yeah council yeah. has its requests too like there are a lot of questions about like do we want to keep that two-lane york road should we build the four for building all this new housing in the east end too so i guess the question is uh you know what appetite is there for council i mean even if it's like something in your ward and i don't mean you as in you linda but you know any of your fellow counselors whether it's your pet project whether it's something coming from the community when all the attention seems to be on taking it from 10.3 and and pushing it down like is there appetite to add or is there only appetite to cut yeah and and that's a question you know i'm going to pick on transit for you right now okay. so <laughs> uh, it, it's it's disentangling it's trying to for me it's trying to understand so when i look at other municipalities they use the um gas tax mm. revenue differently in their municipal budgeting process and so when i look at kingston for example um which is kind of comparable you know mm -hmm. um it, it, they they put their gas tax 100% into uh their budget into transit and so for me it's trying to understand the rules around the revenue. Can this be moved? The rules around reserves, mm. you know, some of those things. Um, and so for, for me as a new counselor, that is difficult. That has been difficult to understand that, you know, bike lanes happen when there mm -hmm. is matching great grants from other governments. That's great. Mm -hmm. Okay, So we'll, we'll make that kind of make that happen. But around those asks, that is a local, that's locally going, going to be locally funded. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you've been part of the process as well. It is, and I talk about this, it's about the, you know, snowball of the um, local impacts. And you, mm. you see this in, whether it's police and public health, specifically around county social services, mm. how much of that budget actually uh, how much of those responsibilities, not the budget, those responsibilities are being absorbed and passed on 
at 90% city, 10% county mm-hmm. uh, into that. Uh, and I'm again, I don't have a problem with it. It is uh, there, you know, I hate to sound this way, but there's one <laughs> taxpayer, there's one resident. Yeah. And if the funding is already going to the Ministry of Health or is already going to other ministries provincially or federally, why is the, the, the local household being being taxed twice for those kinds of of services and at the same time that's that revenue source that's that you know government uh, revenue source that then should alleviate some of the local for that discretionary so i will tell you i've looked at this budget there is no discretionary there is mm. no there is no magic discretionary which is why i call it a jenga because like it's give and take it's give and take around this so it'll be interesting to see what the staff come uh and the interesting around the conversation that happens on thursday at the meeting because i do not see any wiggle room and i i rely on the staff to really you know they know the legislation they know the timelines they know when budgets are sweatered right so this can Mm. only be used for this you can't use it for anything else I'm just learning all of that because in the suggestions that I provide, like, hey, can we take all the money from bikes and put it in transit, right? It's like, (laughs) well, you know, there's special grants that are used to make that happen. No, we can't do that, right? So it's hard to come around, uh, come up with those problem-solving kinds of questions um, to, to make some kind of a proposal or an impact. Right. And I think you're getting at something that I I think this is a letter I saw in Guelph today, a letter to the editor where somebody said, like, you know what, if the city just spent money on the basics and didn't splurge on bike lanes, then the budget would be more easier to balance, which is not that's not what you're arguing is that it's no. Yeah, that it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Oh, I'd say it's a lot more complicated (laughs) than that. And I and, you know, the staff. At the end of the day, regardless, every single councillor and the mayor around the table wants us to have, you know, a, a, a good place for us to live, a healthy place for us to live and to work and to recreate and all those kinds of things. But our our resources, our inputs are either sweatered, you can only use it on this one thing. So yeah, it may look to the public that bike lanes are taking precedent, but that's because that's when the grant is available. Mm. right to make that happen Mm -hmm. so uh, you know from the outside that's what it may look like but that is not what is happening i think there's a holistic how do we build this jenga tower uh to to maximize the benefits for the most households and the most people in the community right it's i i I, there are a lot of people who coined the phrase guelph saga and are, are scared that all the like the high density development that's happening um, is, is turning Guelph into something. But the thing that turns Guelph into Guelph a saga is not making some of those like um, standard of living improvements like the bike lanes, like the parks, like trails right. and things like that. But I, I actually share, I think I, I use Pottersville. <laughs> My concern after, you know, the legislation, the, the, you know, the legislation that came down from the province, again, visually, mm. you're going to have more households. But because of that reduction in our ability to, you know, have DCs and revenue sources, you know, conversations with community members about why don't I get a big, huge park in my neighborhood? Well, no, mm. you get a parkette. 
yeah. because that is what the the revenues allow us to build. And I think that overall picture, and you know, we approve the park plan and so on. We want regional parks. We want big parks with you know better amenities and so on that you can take the bus to. Mm-hmm. In under two hours. Um, but <laughs> the ability oh. to fund those locally, mm-hmm. the competition for that local dollar, uh, local tax dollar is is phenomenal. Yeah. It's phenomenal. So and, and and so I'm concerned about overall when we talk about Guelph Saga or you know Linda's Pottersville, Guelphsville <laughs> kind of thing, is that uh, yes, intensification. Yes, you know, we want, you know, different kinds of housing units and all those kinds of things. But at the same time, investments in those um, elements of community life that contribute to mental health well-being and physical health well-being and workplaces and uh, able to get to work. All of those things need to be in the mix as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we wrap up, you're, you were alluding to earlier your, you know, your community activism around, you know, food insecurity and and uh, people in need in our city. The, we we tend to at, at budget time we tend to hear from the people who are well housed and you know are able to um, even begrudgingly afford the tax increase or perhaps are concerned about losing their house because you know they they are house and are concerned about the tax increase but i mean when it comes to people in need in ward four you know there are a lot of new canadians in ward four a lot of um students uh for the for conestoga a lot of um poor people you know in in ward four you know are are they aware of the budget impacts um when, when they talk to you are they concerned about what might get cut or what might not get funded yeah, I what I've heard is mainly around the food security, um, mm. food security, and it, as I said, it, it there is a phenomenal amount of um, need for uh, food assistance, assistance for food, and I know the federal government's doing something. Um, uh, however, does that trickle down to us? At the same time, those helping agencies mm. have decentralized. So we're going to push, you know, the food bank nodes out there into the community. But what happens is it's closer to the need, the need increases, and there are not the resources to make that sustainable. Uh, to There's no staffing dollars or anything mm. like that to, to meet those kinds of needs. So those agencies, I don't begrudge them because all of those community, all community agencies need to figure out how to do more with less as mm. well. You know, fewer volunteers, fewer dollars, more demand, all those kinds of things. So it's it's complicated in that food way. But I am going to talk about, because today one of the things that we do uh, in the local area is the Ontario Energy Support Program. Mm. And so I just had a conversation before our call with uh, a widow. And high school son, they don't live in Ward 4. They're actually in Ward 5, kind of, by the way, YMCA area. Mm-hmm. And her household income is $34,000 a year. And she owns her home. And so we talked about hydro. We talked about, you know, union gas, you know, and her concern now it's $20 a month in addition. That mm. is a carbon tax on top of that bill. And right. you know, just in tears and all I didn't go into. Oh, and by the way, I'm I'm a city councillor. Sorry, you're going to see a 10.3 increase on your, <laughs> your tax bill. 
But my heart broke for this family mm. because, you know, this this constant layering of um, pressure on households means this family is going to have to resort to food support or other kinds of supports yeah. in order to make ends meet. Yeah. And, you know, saying that, that, you know, you can just leave your home and sell your home and take the, the, the you know, cash and go do something. What can you do? It's not like you can go and rent or find something less right. affordable. Um, right. So it, it's, it's, double it's double edged and some of those young families here in ward four that bought you know a home during COVID, it's those interest rates that are killing yeah. them as well yeah. so we're seeing the need for assistance definitely growing um and uh, yeah that's i don't know if that's answered <laughs> enough of the question for you but huge huge need I mean, it, it, what it speaks to me is that, you know, it, the pressures are multifaceted. It's not just what's on the city and what the city might pass off to to uh, everybody. Um, but I think I think our city council gets the lion's share of the the pressure because uh, you guys are available and the CEO of Union Gas isn't. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And the CEO of Union Gas you know, or Enbridge, mm. you know, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, probably has a lot of restrictions and operates in a box as well. However, when you look at those individual households and all those costs of gas and food and utilities and, and everything else, uh, families are struggling. Bottom yeah. line, family families are struggling. For sure. Uh, I'm struggling for time right now, so I'll have to cut us off here. But uh, Linda uh, Linda Busatil, thank you so much for your time today. It's really appreciated. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Have a good day. Okay. So that was Linda Busatil. If you are listening to this on Thursday night, uh, it's almost six o'clock. So you have an hour to get around to the West End Rec Center for the Quattro Town Hall with Linda and Christine Billings. Get on your uh, bus right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll get there just in time. But if you're lucky. <laughs> uh yeah. 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 Anyway, um so yeah, the budget meetings on Wednesday, the 29th, 9 a.m. I'll be there so you won't have to be. But uh yeah, stay tuned for more. Um that's it for this edition of the show. We hope you liked it. You can listen to it again by downloading it every Monday from our website, opensourcesguelph.com at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can stay connected to us on social media or on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. I'll be back here on CFRU Wednesday at 3 p.m. for the movie review show that I co-host called End Credits. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or at my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Twitter, and Blue Sky. And if you're joining us at our regular time on a Thursday, please stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground. And go Quattro. Go Quattro. Um, spelled with a KW. We were working shopping that. Go Quattro. Um, anyway, you can hear uh, Turtle Island Underground and other great programs just like it here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As for this very show, we will return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources, and we will see you then.